Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our crypto series. This is part four, and we're going to be examining the banking crisis that unfolded in earlier this year in March and April of 2023. Uh, but before we begin that part of it, I just wanted to do a quick recap on the first three parts of the series. So the first part, we examined the history of uh, basically cryptocurrencies and the crypto ecosystem uh, beginning in late 2008 going into about 2015 and we did that through a book called the dark the dark net and then in the second part of the series we basically took a look at the years between 2016 and 2022 and we did that primarily through the book uh, going infinite by michael lewis and i'm actually going to read a couple of very key inserts from that book here in a moment and then in the last episode, in episode three, we went through the uh, basically the timeline of the crypto crash that occurred in the spring and leading into the fall of 2022. So just a, a quick recap. So there were there were kind of three big events that kicked off the crypto crash of 2022. And that started in May of 2022, which was the collapse of Terra uh, UST. Uh, which was a uh, which was a stable coin uh, cryptocurrency called uh, uh, U called UST. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, then we get into April with the failure of the Three Arrows hedge fund, uh, which was a which was a crypto hedge fund. Which you'll I'm gonna again uh, these excerpts I'm gonna read here from Going Infinite, and I'll make this a little bit more clear. And then finally, we culminated with the collapse of FTX in November of 2022. So. How, again, uh, going back to my, my uh, theory of the case or my hypothesis here that this crypto collapse in 2022 led directly to the banking crisis that unfolded in March and April of this year. Um, so how, the question becomes, so, well, how did these crypto firms, how did the, this crypto ecosystem, how did it get connected inside the U.S. banking system? And that's what we're going to explore here a little bit today. And then looking at the timeline of how did this whole thing unfold? So. So the first thing I want to do here is I just want to read to you guys a couple excerpts. And again, I'll kind of show here. This is uh, Michael Lewis going infinite. So the first thing I wanted to read here just to understand was so Alameda Research. Now, this was the hedge fund that was attached to FTX. This was kind of like their the sister hedge fund. So Alameda Research started first and then FTX came second. So Alameda Research was no longer paying loan shark interest rates to borrow tens of millions of dollars from effective altruists. The new crypto lenders like Celsius and Genesis were willing to hand Alameda Research collectively between 10 billion and 15 billion at rates as low as 6%. Uh, the rate of return inside Alameda was steadily declining, but with access to vast amounts of cheap capital, its raw trading profits kept rising from 50 million in 2018 to 100 million in 2019 to 1 billion in 2020 and again in 2021. And those were just the trading profits. The numbers didn't include the seemingly vast unrealized gains on Sam's token stashes. So that one paragraph is so profound because if you'll recall from the last episode, we talked about how when the bank run came and all of these firms they just talked about, Celsius, Genesis, they, they all failed. BlockFi, Voyager, they all went down. Now, here's the thing to understand. They were offering, these companies were offering customers rates, if you recall, of 20%. So in other words, you took your UST 
stable coin and you posit it in over, you know, over in, in Celsius and they were going to pay you 20% while at the same time they're lending money to Sam Bankman Freed at 6% with FTX. Like, does that, do those numbers jive? Does that make sense? No, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and just the, the sheer amount, 10 billion, 15 billion, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy to think that the, like the stuff that was going on here. So now let's fast forward here a little bit. So now we can kind of understand a little bit more about the, the relationship in this ecosystem. So it's like, you know, you bought your, your stable coin, you gave it to Celsius and BlockFi and Voyager and Genesis, and then they were lending it back to FTX, who was then using it to make trading volume. And just, you know, this whole thing is just spinning, spinning, spinning. So now let's read this part. Between the start of the boom in 2017 and June of 2022, crypto had recreated the institutions of traditional finance without the rules and regulation and investor protections that existed in traditional finance. It had brokers. It also had its own banks and sort of banks that paid crypto interest on crypto deposits, though did not offer insurance on those deposits. The banks relent that money at higher rates of interest to crypto hedge funds without anyone having really any idea of what those hedge funds were doing with the money. Ah, oh, shocking. It had exchanges that did not merely facilitate crypto trades, but also warehoused their customers' money without any regulator paying a whole lot of attention to how they did this. It even had the equivalent of U.S. dollars in the form of stable coins. These were digital currencies on a blockchain like Bitcoin, but unlike Bitcoin, backed by actual dollars. For every dollar's worth of a stable coin, there was meant to be a dollar held somewhere in a genuine federal deposit insurance corporation, insured bank. But again, there was no proof that these dollars were there. So again, let me say that again. For every dollar's worth of stable coin, there was meant to be a dollar held somewhere in a genuine federal deposited FDIC insured bank. Really? It's interesting. Okay. Um, considering that this was a totally unregulated market, and banks technically were not really supposed to be dealing with this. So, but again, this is very important going back to describing in the last episode, why did this crypto crash occur? Like what happened here? Well, it was a, it was a loss of trust. It was the fact that uh, people were not insured uh, with, with, they did not have any kind of backup insurance on this. Uh, there was, there were, they were high, these companies were highly unregulated. People didn't really know or didn't understand the relationship between these companies or what was going on or how this money was being used and, and, and spread all over the place. So now let's go to now a very key thing at the end of the last episode, I said that while you had a lot of people when the run started in the crypto world, you know, obviously you had a lot of retail customers in there, but there was also a lot of big institutional players. And this is this is where we get and this is this comes key here. So at the moment of its collapse, FTX had more than 10 million account holders to whom it owed 8.7 billion. Nearly half of those losses or 4 billion were concentrated in 50 accounts. So four billion dollars, half the money were concentrated in 50 accounts but they owed 10 million account holders. So the biggest losers not employed by either FTX or Alameda were high frequency trading firms. Near the top was Jump Trading, who had $206 million. At the bottom was Virtue Financial in Singapore, which had 10 billion or 10 million rather. So um, the real names of about half the list were concealed. Shocking. Um, so 
this just goes to show you that the, the you know the the high frequency trading firms, you know, Wall Street saw what was going on. They really wanted in on this action. So you had you had hedge funds, you had private equity, you had uh, these high frequency trading firms like Jump Street and Virtue Financial were, were you know you know Citadel, perhaps uh, jumping jumping in on all this. So. Um, so now you can see that you know you got you got big money in here, which facilitated again a lot of the trading volume, a lot of the trading action, a lot of what was going on. Now um, here, now here is, is what I consider to be the kind of coup de gras, if you will, of, of this of this uh, moment here. So I want to read this to you. So so again, as we said, with the stable coin, the monies had to be deposited into a FDIC insured bank. So let's talk about that. So. The crypto entities um, that did have a bank, like, or, or the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, the crypto entities that they did bank, like Alameda Research, usually disguised disguised their association with crypto. The biggest U.S. crypto exchange, Coinbase, had by some miracle persuaded Silicon Valley Bank, remember that name, Silicon Valley Bank, to give it an account and thus a mechanism for Coinbase to receive U.S. dollars from and send U.S. dollars to its crypto trading customers. A U.S. bank account had thereby given Coinbase a big advantage. But how, exa how exactly they'd obtained the account was a story for another day, indeed. The story for this day is how FTX failed to find its own U.S. bank for sending and receiving dollars. From its founding in the spring of 2019 until July of 2021, when it finally persuaded a bank in San Diego called Silvergate Capital, and I want everybody to remember that name, Silvergate Capital, to open an account in its name, FTX had no straightforward way to accept dollar deposits uh, until they found their way into Silvergate Capital. So the institutions that stepped up to bank crypto wound up paying a huge price. Of the four banks that collapsed in the spring of 2023, run on on the 2023 run on U.S. regional U.S. banks, three were the earliest bankers of crypto firms: Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Capital, and Signature Bank. The fourth, Republic First Republic Bank, was not important in the crypto financial ecosystem, but did have an account uh, for with Sam Bankman-Fried. So, uh, I consider. Uh, basically first republic bank to be collateral damage in this whole fiasco like like ubs but i call silvergate bank silicon valley bank signature bank they were the crypto banks they were the crypto banks and we're going to see here in a minute there were the three banks that went down and these were the banks that had gotten in bed with these crypto companies so so there was a lot there there was a lot there that we just that we just went through in terms of what was going on, how this this ecosystem unfolded, the interest rates that were being offered and, and, and the way that the money was flowing around, it was being lent to other things, how ultimately these crypto exchanges got into the banking system. So now I want to go back to this, uh, this research that I talked about back in episode three very briefly. And this was a, this was a some research that was done by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, and this is called a retrospective on uh crypto runs of 2022 so basically i want so we can go in here we can see the dates when these companies failed celsius filed for bankruptcy voyager digital BlockFi, genesis in partnership with gemini ftx um 
Da, da, da. So let's go down here. So let's, yeah. So here's some interesting charts here. So for our podcast audience, we're looking for some charts right now. We're looking at some charts right now of withdrawals of customer funds during 90 days before the bankruptcy filing. And you can see here the FTX, you can see this absolute explosion in withdrawals that occurred after November 1st and just, just took off like a shot. And by no, basically by November 8th, it was, it was all over. And the chart just below that, we're looking at other firms, you can see the collapse of Terra on May 7th, 2022. You can see this absolute explosion of withdrawals. And then you can see again, the, the number two event that we talked about, which was the three arrows, uh, the three AC collapse. And then you can see Celsius in there and then Voyager and then BlockFi barely hanging on. And then finally, you can see the collapse of FTX and then Genesis. Um, but I mean, you could see the size of these these runs on these organizations. I mean, they were just they were just massive, massive runs, and they were again the three major events that we had talked about in the last episode of un unfolding here in the in the crypto collapse. Now, what I want to do here is I want to go down to the conclusion, and I just want to read this last couple sentences here because I think these are the most important. I I, I kind of ended the last episode with this, but now I want to refocus on it for just a second. So. Most of the financial instability associated with these failures had been confined to the crypto asset ecosystem. However, the failure of FTX put severe pressure on Silvergate Bank and Signature Bank in late 2020-22, uh, which both provided an array of banking services targeted at crypto asset firms, and these two banks suffered severe deposit withdrawals and closed or failed in 2023. So there you have it right there i think that you know you you can see here from michael lewis's book going infinite i mean i have other articles and research on this as well but uh these three banks in particular signature bank silicon valley bank and silvergate bank were the three crypto banks they were all they all got heavily in bed with the crypto ecosystem and they paid a tremendous price for this but it was the collapse in the it was the collapse in crypto which sucked the deposits out of these banks. And then ultimately, which led to the run here that we saw and that would ultimately led to their, their bank failure. So let's, so let's get out of this for a second here. And I wanna share uh, another screen with you, with everybody. So let me, okay. So, so let's look at a timeline here. So this is the banking crash of 20. Now we're getting to the banking crash of 2023. So I want to look at a timeline here. So Silvergate Capital, uh, they had a couple of things. They had Silvergate Capital, you had Silvergate Bank, but then they also owned what was called the Silvergate Exchange Network or the SEN. And that's the first thing that fails. And that is the, that's the key thing. So that fails on March 3rd. And what was SEN? It's very important to understand that SEN, that this was the railway for crypto exchanges to get deposits into the banking system and vice versa. Uh, three main crypto banks, again, Silvergate, SVB, and Signature Bank. Uh, SVB was Silicon Valley Bank. Um, but that's the SEN network. I mean, it, th this, was the, this was the major artery you know 97 percent of all the crypto that was going that was going from the crypto world into the banking system was coming through this silvergate exchange network and the kind of the backups to these two things were silicon valley bank svb and then signature bank 
So when the set when the send network went down, it basically caused a cascading effect. So then you had eight days later, Silvergate Capital Corp fails on March 8th. And then literally two days later, Silicon Valley Bank, 209 billion in assets, uh, fails on March 10th. It's the second largest failure in US banking history behind Washington Mutual in 2008. And then uh, Signature Bank, which was 110 billion in assets, fails on March 12th, 2023, the third largest failure in US banking history. So you can see here this domino effect that goes through. So, this, so the SEND network controlled by, again, Silvergate Capital Corp, the SEND network fails March 3rd. Silvergate Capital fails March 8th, five days later. SVB fails on March 10th, two days after that. And then Signature Bank fails on March 12th after that. So now you've had these bank runs and these three banks have failed two major. Um, and again, Silvergate Capital didn't get a lot of press because it was, I think it was about a 10, $11 billion bank effectively. And that was nowhere near the size of like SVB and Signature and, and Signature Bank, which were two, you know, very large regional banks in the U.S. So obviously they got the, and, they, and they were the second and third largest failures in banking history. So obviously they got all the, the headlines. But but what really kicked this off? But I was I was always been amazed at why people didn't look under the hood as to like, well, what really kicked this off? How did this all tie in? Uh, they all just a lot of people just kind of chalk this up to like, oh, well, it was just a, it was just a, you know, run on the bank um, because of and we'll see here. We'll look at, you know, the uh, some of the underlying reasons for what happened with these banks here in a second. So let's so let's but let's continue on here for the moment. So, OK, so then what happens next? OK, then you have Credit Suisse fails on March 19th. Uh, so seven days later, you know, Credit Suisse goes into, you know, major damage control. They're going under and basically they're, they're, yeah, basically UBS gets forced to buy Credit Suisse. And then the Federal Reserve, uh, they launches with, well, they launch what's called the Bank Term Funding Program, the BTFP. And this is effectively is a line of credit. Uh, and this was tapped in the first week to the tune of 12 billion. This is there's now over 100 billion, which has been borrowed on this line. Uh, and this program was basically used to shore up uh, the liquidity of banks in the country to try to to prevent any further runs. Now, but and it did it did work. Uh, but unfortunately, there there were still uh, there was probably like four or five other banks that were were really shaky and really on the on the brink. And unfortunately, you had um, First Republic Bank fails basically April 30th, May 1st, right in there. Uh, they get seized by regulators and then they ultimately get sold to J.P. Morgan. Now, I look at Credit Suisse and, and First Republic Bank as banks that did not were not directly tied in any way to the crypto ecosystem, but they they did have the same underlying issues that these other banks had. And they ultimately just kind of got wrapped up into this this whole crisis. And they were um, ultimately, I, I think, like just collateral damage here. But it's also important to, to point out that um, in this moment, uh, the banks not only borrowed heavily from the BTFP, but they also borrowed heavily from their lines of credit at the uh, federal home loan banking system. So, and so, so what were the underlying issues at these banks? Okay, you had a large amount of what was called unrealized losses in bond portfolios. So, interest rates. So, if people recall, uh, basically the Fed starts hiking interest rates in 2022. Uh, they hike the rates into 2023. And as a result of those hikes, it caused the bond market to go down. Interest rates go up, bond yields go go down, um, 
And it just it, it just it wreaked havoc on the bond market. And the bond market in 2022 experienced its first significant down year, I believe, in 50 years. It was a long, long time. So, so now you have these bonds that are underwater. You have mortgage-backed securities that are underwater. Um, and for these large regional banks, those were huge numbers. I mean, I mean, I think uh, I think Silver, I think SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, I think they were looking at something in the tunes of a loss of like 18 billion, 20 billion on their bond portfolio. I mean, it was it was significant. It was huge. Uh, and then you had what was called a large amount of uninsured deposits. In other words, you have FDIC insurance, but FDIC and insurance only covers you up to a certain point, and any deposits beyond that point are not insured, make, thus making them an uninsured deposits. Now, Silicon Valley Bank was a very unique bank. Uh, it served a lot of startup companies. It served a lot of tech uh, companies in, in Silicon Valley. There, um, it, it you know a lot of like venture capital, private equity, hedge funds. You know a lot of riskier things that would not have been that would not be touched in any way, shape, or form by you know 95% of the banks out there in the country. So Silicon Bank was a very unique bank, did some very unique things and gave it a very unique business model. Um, you know, so they but unfortunately they had a lot of what was called uninsured deposits. In other words, you had like a um you know, like a hedge fund was in there and had a hundred million dollars in deposits in the bank, you know, which which they never should have done. But they but that's what they did. They just parked a huge amount of money there. And, and the vast majority of that became un, was considered an uninsured deposit. Uh, but then you had this element of social media. Um, social media played a fascinating role in this whole thing because social media basically accelerated the withdrawal. In other words, once the news broke on social media that like, hey, these banks are in serious trouble. They're probably going to go under. You need to get your money out of there. Well, I mean, man, they basically the electronic herd went full speed. Let's go. Let's go right at it and and get our money out of there as fast as possible. So that's a, and and I think that that would be good for like a whole other episode to have a discussion of of how social media played into this whole thing. So, but basically these elements, uh, these underlying elements, uh, they created a classic run on the bank. But I think the the real question here though is. You know, th so these banks ultimately were sitting on a powder keg. They were sitting on this powder keg of unrealized losses in their bond portfolios, uninsured deposits, and that also that also these things ultimately accelerated. They ultimately accelerated the bank run that these banks experienced. But but did the collapse of the crypto market in 2022 and the subsequent loss of bank deposits create the eventual run on the banks? Uh, I think it did. I, I believe that 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 sucking of the crypto deposits out of these banks was the I believe that was the spark. That was the match that lit the fire that ultimately ended up leading to the runs on these banks in March of 2023, because the, the, the all the crypto deposits were being sucked out through the Sen network. And these banks lost a tremendous amount of deposits and it caused a lot of people to start saying, hey, what's what's going on? What is happening with these banks? Uh, why is all this, you know, where, where's all this money going? What's going on here? And I think that people just piled into it. And then when they popped the hood of the bank, so to speak, and they started looking underneath, they were like, oh, my gosh, these guys have all these these issues in their bond portfolio. They've got all these uninsured deposits. And, and then, you know, boom. And then. Um, anybody knows that have, have studied, you know, bank runs, you know, when the bank run starts, man, it just it happens lightning fast. And it's and it is it is very, very difficult to, to stop. Um, and I'll talk more about uh, bank runs in, in future episodes when I get into, um, 
you know, different bank failures and crises that have happened in the history of the United States, you know, going forward. And then, and then, okay, so what is the, what's the aftermath here? So the aftermath is that, you know, many regional banks are still struggling. You have unrealized losses on mortgage-backed securities and bonds continue to be a major issue. We just got the FDIC report for the third quarter, and that increased uh, the, the amount of, uh, uh, you know, unrealized losses in the portfolios increased dramatically. You have uh, uninsured deposits are still an issue, but banks are reducing the risk there. They are kind of getting that under control. Regulators have proposed new capital rules through what's called the, the Basel III endgame. Uh, the FDIC insurance fund, which is known as the DIF, that needs to be replenished through a special assessment. That's all kind of being worked out. And then legislators continue to consider regulation around uh, crypto. And then, and, the, and then the next episode of the series, that's what we're going to kind of focus on. We're going to kind of focus on the crypto update, basically what's been, what's been happening with all these companies and what's been going on in the crypto world for the last three or four months, at, you know, as, as after all of this uh, crisis unfolded. And, and then in the final episode, we're going to get in of the final episode of the crypto series, we're going to get into uh, central bank digital currency. Like, how does how does that play into all this? Like, how does that ultimately um, come out here at the at the end of the day? So uh, so just to just to kind of wrap this up here, uh, I so I hope I hope everybody got a, a feeling here for how this whole thing played out. Um, I, again, my, you know, my theory of the case is that the, the, the collapse in the crypto ultimately led to the collapse of these, these three crypto banks. While these banks all did have these underlying, these other underlying issues, I do believe it was ultimately the failure of the crypto market and the, the sucking of the deposits uh, from that event that basically ultimately led to, to what happened here. Um, and, th and then, of course, the failures were just exacerbated again by the existing underlying issues. So, um, so again, I, I hope I hope people en enjoy this episode. I hope you I hope you, you're getting a lot out of this series and, and learning more about like crypto and what's going on. Um, you know, I'm again, I'm, I'm hoping to talk a little bit more about, you know, in the next episode, you know, kind of coming out of this, like, well, what, you know, you know, so I hope I hope everybody kind of learns something out of this. And and we're, we'll talk a little bit more about like what that is, like what is you know what what are kind of lessons learned here coming out of this whole thing, but um but again, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. If you did, please make sure to give a like and a thumbs up. Make sure to subscribe. Um, if you if you have some comments, please leave them below. I'll definitely try to get back to people as, as best I possibly can when they leave comments. Um, I do love the feedback, and uh, please make sure to check out some of the other episodes. So. In, in the coming weeks, uh, we'll definitely have, you know, like I said, the, the, the next, the, the fifth and sixth episode in the crypto series will come. I'm also going to be doing a banking update. Uh, some other episodes will be coming uh, very, you know, very uh, shortly after that. Some other interesting topics that I'm working on. Uh, but I hope everyone has a great weekend and uh, stay safe out there and uh, definitely, you know, enjoy the, the upcoming holidays here as they're uh, coming up very quickly. So, but uh, I hope everyone has a, uh, I hope everyone has a great weekend. And talk to you again real soon. Thanks a lot.